I want to talk to you this morning about redemption story. Last time I was with you was March the 6th, and we talked about we were working on the stories and parables of Christ, and we're going to keep doing that. We've kind of uh, given up on any chronological kind of pattern. We're just going to work on stories and parables, and, and I love them. I think they're amazing. And last I was with you that Sunday, we actually talked about family resemblance, and we shared from the stories uh, of the life of Christ in the Gospels about different things like how uh, some things that marked our family uh, we talked about, even back in February, about being in the family business, the father's business that Jesus was in, and about being in touch and being hands-on, and uh, just a litany of different things. But as we walk into um, Easter, what an incredible season. Um, ironically, last year this was Easter. You know, that calendar with Easter, man, it's it confuses me, personally. Um, but... Yeah, we've got a couple of Sundays, and I want us to take a look at the greatest story, the story that is the consistent theme, not even just certainly in the life of Christ or the New Testament, but just the story, you know, that permeates the Word of God, and it is redemption story. We think about stories like Esther's, where she was taken into captivity against her will to serve in the king's uh, harem, literally, and that's, you know, not wasn't on the top of her list of things to do, I'm sure, but how God redeemed that and saved the people, or, or the story of Nehemiah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how God redeemed that to be a witness or, or Daniel and the very lions that were meant for his destruction uh, were those that consumed his enemies. You know, I mean, just how God's always redeeming stuff and turns it around. And we love, by the way, stories that redeem. Come on, don't we? I mean, even dudes that like rough, tough movies, you still like that movie to redeem or that story that you read in the book or whatever. You, you hope that it resolves, you know. It's okay that jazz doesn't resolve its music, but I want my stories to come to a point of satisfactory conclusion. And I think the reason that that's true is because that it's a part of the fabric of who we are. Because we were meant to be redeemed. And so, maybe even when we don't understand, I'm convinced that this is true, that in our lives there are a lot of things that are echoes or... Uh, uh, Philip Yancey wrote a book called Rumors of Another World, but he talks about how sometimes the eternal, you know, it slips its way in, and you, just for a second you get a vision or a view of how it was meant to be or made to be. And in our world it was meant and made to redeem. So you see people in Hollywood who aren't even be- believers who write stories that redeem because it is who they are. They were meant themselves to be the redeemed. And... Uh, there are a litany of those kinds of stories, like, for instance, Shrek. I mean, <laughs> I know it's a cartoon, but it was a great one, though. And, you know, the, the thing about those stories is normally there's that place in the beginning of the movie where there's a bit of a, a backstory that develops and there are characters that come to life and you start to develop some sort of an affection for them. And, hey, and then and even in that, usually there's a bit of a seed sown as to how you wish it would work out or who you wish would get married if you're it's a chick flick or what. And then get, I mean, sorry, or, I, you know, I also actually feel that way sometimes myself. Or, you know, that guy's, that's a bad guy, but he's a bad guy who's going to be a good guy because it's going to redeem like Megamind, which was also a cartoon. Do I know a non-cartoon movie? Yes, I do. Or, or uh, another uh, example of a movie from several years ago that had tremendous... Uh, story of redemption was Seabiscuit. I don't know if you saw that, but you should because there were all these people who had had this disastrous... I mean, the backstory in that, you better not go to the bathroom in the first 20 minutes because the backstory is critical as there's the development of four different or separate characters that ultimately 
there's just this redemption that happens in their story. Or, or stories like radio where, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr. And, and these boys were mean to him. And you know how my heart is towards someone uh, in radio situation or scenario. But these boys picked on him and, and brutalized him. But the coach of the football team, because of that, recognized the need for compassion. And how God redeemed that story. Oh, sorry. How it redeemed. But, I mean, it, if, if it were a real-life story, and it was, it was God that redeemed it, by the way. Because there's only one guy who ultimately is in the business of redemption. And he, and he is actually the redeemer. We love stories that redeem. Blindside is another good example of a story that wasn't very long ago. I heard an interview with the actual characters, the real-life people from Blindside, and the daughter was just talking about how even uh, just how redemptive that was for their family. What a closeness that that caused or brought uh, to them. Um, and I could go on and on. I, a movie that was a bit under the radar that was, was incredibly redemptive. It took something that was uh, necessarily a mistake, a one-night stand between a couple. It was August Rush. And then how that redeemed and how the, the God, again, I'm just give God credit for everything, this redemption. It was a movie. I understand that. But it, it was a type of the reality of how Jesus just heals and ministers and restores and you get that back that backstory that set up then you get that progress but then there's always that tension there's that place in the story where there's tragedy or something and for a moment it seems that the enemy will get an inroad and cause someone to believe something that isn't so just to back up for a second to Shrek I fast forward through that part in Shrek 1 you know where the tension came in because um, Fiona thought Shrek thought she was ugly and Shrek thought Fiona thought he was ugly and I was like no they were talking about themselves Ah, it was a deception in there. And then when they figured that out, though, and there's always, you know, in our real lives, there's tragedy and there's tension and there's things that happen. But then in the story of redemption, there's always a place where truth or revelation comes. And there's that aha moment. And I pray to God that for each of us, his children, there was that aha moment. I pray there was that place where, where truth got spoken and came to life in us. And there was a revelation of who we were meant to be. And then it, and then it redeems. There's that place of just incredible redemption. And I want to give you an assignment between now and uh, Easter. I, you don't, Obviously, I can't require you to do this. But there was a movie that Karen and I actually watched on the airplane as we were flying to and from Africa. Because if you take the same flight, you're going to get the same movies. And I only watched it once, but I was cheating over to her TV screen in the second flight. So I, I saw a bit. But it's a movie called Tangled. And it's a cartoon. It's a Disney Pixar. And I know what you're thinking, guys. You're thinking, dude... You're losing all your masculinity points right now. Trust me, I didn't intend to watch this movie. I saw the previews and I thought, ah, that's pretty funny, but I'm not allowed to admit it. And, but then, I'm telling you, it's an incredible story of redemption. Unbelievable story of redemption where, where the princess is taken captive by a lady she thinks is her mom and placed in a tower that she thinks is her protection, but it's really her bondage. And then there's an orphan young man who tries to be Joe Cool to prove who he is, who breaks into the castle and steals her crown, and I'm not going to ruin the movie for you. I'm going to give you some... But I'm telling you, we'll talk about it on Easter. We're going to talk about it just briefly. But, but I want you to just think about your own story. Because your story is a story of redemption. Maybe there are some things in your life right now that need redeemed. Maybe you're at a place in this journey that whew, it just seems like the weight of whatever, right? is more than you can handle. And it seems like there, there is a situation that has developed in your story 
that um, you can't live past. And I'm here to say to you that you need a revelation of truth today because God's plan for you is absolutely redemption. And there's, an, there's a perfect example of that in the Word that I want to reference today in the life of one uh, Peter who ultimately was an apostle. But in Peter's story, we'll start. We know that initially um, Peter had an interaction with his brother Andrew. They were both followers of, of John the Baptist, at least on some level. And there was a place where Andrew had had a view into the life of Jesus Christ and began to believe that this could be the Messiah. And he even gave Peter, hey, could this be the... I believe we found him and that kind of thing. But there's no evidence then that there was a kind of a follow-up to that and with Peter in relationship to Jesus uh, but then in Luke chapter 5, now if you were looking at the heading in your word, I'm going to reference Luke chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. But if you were looking at a heading in your word, it would say of that passage, Robbie, um, the calling of the first disciples, because that's what's about to happen here. And in this portion of the story, though, it's not by accident that Jesus approaches Peter. And so I want to bring to you just a few points uh, from the life of Christ and Peter that also relate to us about redemption story. Number one, just to keep with Luke 5 here, number one, in redemption story, no one is overlooked or forgotten in redemption story. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, but, you know, this story, it's about other people, but it's not really about me. I don't feel like my life, my life is ever redeemed and it's never worked out the way that I had hoped that it would. And... And maybe Peter was that guy. Peter, uh, historically, we believe that he was born about 1 B.C. He was very close to the same age as Jesus, probably just a little bit older. And we get all these views of who someone was from the Word. You know, we think about Peter being a pretty rough character. And I don't know, for me, I actually, just to stick to my movie theme this morning, I think of Peter, I think of Biff in uh, Back to the Future, which is a movie that's older. No, it's okay. It was from when I was a teenager, which was way long time ago. But... Um, but he was this guy who probably, um, maybe in his, you know, and, and the reality is Peter was from Bethsaida of Galilee, which meant that he was uh, also a local boy. Jesus was from Nazareth of Galilee. This was a fairly close area geographically, so it's not impossible that they may have known of each other. Their reputations may have preceded them. I'm not sure that that's true, but they were both in their 30s, so it's unlikely that they had no knowledge of one another. And so even this, to discover, you've got to understand for local people when they begin to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that was quite a lot to, to swallow and believe. And then in Luke 5, the Scripture tells us that Jesus had started his public ministry and he had drawn quite a crowd this day. He hadn't called any disciples, as I said yet, but he shows up on the shore and he needs somewhere to preach from and so he finds himself standing on the bow of Peter's boat. Remember this? And he teaches and he preaches and amazing things happen and then he says, hey, why don't we go fishing? Of course, as you know, to which Peter retorted, I don't want, we already did. You know, we didn't catch nothing. We've been out all night. I mean, Really? Go fishing. I don't know if you've noticed this about Jesus, but he's very persistent. And so, you know, back out fishing they went. And the scripture says that as instructed, they cast their nets on one certain side of the boat. And the catch was so much that the boat was in danger of sinking. And so they called for their friends. And it was in that moment that Peter had his epiphany or revelation. And I think really believed that Jesus was who it had been rumored that he was. Because Peter says this, and think about this, but Peter says, depart from me. He fell on his face and he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. But in redemption story, no one is overlooked or forgotten. Not Peter from Bethsaida, who probably didn't have the greatest... He didn't go to the temple to call his uh, 
the disciple who would really lead the way in the New Testament church. But it was this rough, rabble guy, Peter. And he says to him, instead of me departing from you, why don't you leave those nets and come follow me? Because in Redemption's story, there are no extras or accidents. This wasn't the perchance meeting, okay? And, and the way that God approaches each of us, we spoke about this several weeks ago, but you're not, you're not the other, you're not the extra. You are the main thing to Him. You always have been. You always will be. Now, I've said to you before about Jesus, my sister Mary Jane, I, I mention her somewhat often, but Mary Jane always said to everyone, uh, you're my favorite, or you're so special to me, or you're my sweetheart, and she always meant it to everyone. <laughs> everyone was legitimately and genuinely her favorite. She felt that way. She had that much space in her heart, and exponentially, Jesus. So you're not an extra. You're not an accident. You're a main thing in a redemption story. Luke 5, 1 through 11, I mean, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's fishing, he's calling. And listen, for him, uh, knowing, noticing, caring, those are common themes in Redemption story. He never looked past you, not once. He didn't have to reek, oh, I should pay attention to Brady. He has always been focused on you because in Redemption story, no one. Somebody say no one with me. No one is overlooked or forgotten. No one is extra. Everyone is central to him. I think of him noticing uh, Zacchaeus up in a tree. He's that kiss. Over here. He, he saw he's, and he sees hearts that are ready to follow. Or Matthew, who was sitting behind a tax collector's table, least likely to be called to Christian service. Are you kidding me? A couple of tax collectors. But he, he notices. He never forgets. When uh, we were just now in Cape Town... Uh, we spoke at a, a, the last thing we did was we spoke at a church conference, as I said, with pastors. And um, the cool thing about that was that um, we got to actually hear, as I mentioned a minute ago, Jerry, Gary Skinner and some, uh, there were three, basically three main speakers. I was one of those and I was there to advocate for students. And, um, but anyway, what was cool about that was the Zambia project that we work with, that we took team to work with last year is also part of that same group of churches and pastors from South Africa. So they had come in from Zambia. So we got to see all these people we knew. And surprisingly, one of the guys that was there was a Zambian named Mboyo. Had no idea he would get to make the trip from the bush of, of uh, western Zambia. And so, I mean, Mboyo is bigger than BJ. You know what I'm saying? And so he gave me a bear. I was like, oh, this is so cool. And... But he was sharing with me when we were in Zambia. I'll try to make this story as synoptic as possible. But we had an opportunity. We were walking uh, as we were working to plant a church in a very remote area called Naalau. It's about an 11-hour walk from the closest sort of city. And as we were walking from village to village, often the villages would fit in, in maybe a size two or three times the size of the sanctuary. They're not massive villages with thousands of people. They're small family units usually and with history. And we walked up to this one village, and there was a, a man out there that was taking a rough tool and making chairs and stuff. He was by far and away the most industrious person, Gary, uh, Jerry, that we encountered while we were there. And it was... It, I, I walked up to him. Now, you would walk up, and, and often you were the only Makua that the kids would have ever seen, the only white person, and so you could draw quite a bit of attention. You know, you just kind of random to be walking down the road. And so they would get out stools and stuff to sit on, and we had a, 
a translator from Salozi. And so in this particular moment, though, only two people came out. And it was Eula and his nephew. And our translator began to translate. I was just saying we are here to share with you what we believe is the most important message that one human being could ever share with another human being. It's a story of redemption, how the God of creation came to reconcile us to relationship. And anyway, just share uh, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. And the whole time I'm talking to him, he seems frustrated that we're there. Usually there was a little bit of a look of suspicion, but some gladness is an interruption to the monotony of the day. But for him, he just seemed frustrated. He was working, uh, and it, he was a really bowed-up dude. You could tell he worked a lot, completely bald, probably around 30, uh, totally ragged-out clothes, and one flip-flop. Didn't own two shoes. He had one flip-flop. But he was working, and, and I couldn't even almost get his attention, like even through the translator. He was just looking down. And so I actually went on a knee and tried to look up at his face to make eye contact. And I told him, I said, I really believe that God brought me here to speak to you. Like if I didn't have one other conversation, God wants you to know that you are not forgotten and you are not overlooked. That all the way here in western Zambia, that he is for you. And, I mean, now we're, the Holy Spirit done made a bridge, kabam. And again, suffice it to say, is it's a long story, so I'll make it short. But if you look even at some of our pictures, you'll see a, an amazing picture. Someone shot of Eula giving his heart to Christ. And when I was there uh, just now... Now, we, we're planting church and whatnot, and on the third night of our opportunity to be in western Zambia, around the fire and all out, and preaching and teaching, and I had done the first couple of nights, and uh, Umboyo, the aforementioned I just saw in Cape Town, who is a, is a believer from the plant church, um, he spoke that night, and he gave a really good word, but it was kind of a hectic spiritual atmosphere, and then at the end of it, he said, if there's people here who you know that Jesus has done something amazing in your life and you'd be willing to share that, why don't you stand up and testify? Now, you've got to understand this was a completely foreign concept to this crew. But there was probably about 70 people around this campfire, which is our church, and no one moved. It was awkward. Even across the language barrier, I, I knew that spelled awkward. Like, man, I'm sure God did something in somebody. And I had made this comment to Eula when we were praying and God was working in his life. I said, I feel like the Lord is saying that if you come to Christ... Because you're industrious, you're a person uh, who intentionally tries to make this area better, that if you come to Christ, others will come to Christ because of you. You're meant to be a leader in this church. Now, all this is through a translator. I don't know how it's working, how well it's working. But that particular night, then I stood up and I said, actually, if there's just anyone here and you know that Jesus, Jesus Christi, has redeemed your life and you plan to follow him, could you just stand up? And this very quiet... um, kind of phlegmatic, uh, melancholy, demeanor dude was the first to stand. Just now when I was in Cape Town, uh, Umboya was excited to say to me, he said, we're, we're still going every week out to not allow the church is doing great. And he said, and the, the primary leader in the church is Eula. Because in redemption story, whew, God knows how to find folks. He knows how to call folks. And in his story, no one is overlooked and no one is forgotten he leave the 99 to find the one and one other thing that while we were there i'll just toss in quickly was that opportunity to hear the watoto children's choir and one of the songs that they sang now there are generations of people there that have been orphaned and the one young lady that introduced this song she said i come from a family of six uh when i was uh four years old we lost both my mother and father in the war 
And she said, and we thought we were forgotten. And then she began to express and explain what had happened in their life and how that had been redeemed. And then they all sang this song. And it's a song that Israel Houghton has made famous, but it is, I am not forgotten. I am not forgotten. God knows my name. And they were dancing, man. It was hot. And it is true. And not just for the children of the Watoto villages, but for the children of Dwelling Place and the New River Valley. Because in redemption story, no one is forgotten. In redemption story, no failure need be final. Jumping forward and fast, like hitting a hyperdrive right here. Let me say to you that in the life of Peter, Peter and, uh, you know, he had a pretty rocky ride with Jesus, but he did some great things. I'm a huge fan, by the way, of Peter. I love the way that he got out of the boat, even if it cost him some sinking time. You know what I'm saying? I love his attitude. Hey, he might have been a runner, but he was always running to or from. He hardly ever hit the middle. I mean, he'd whack a dude's ear off, and then he would lie to a little girl. You just didn't know what you were going to get with this dude. But in Luke 22, the Scripture tells us of a time when Jesus is having a pre-crucifixion conversation. He hasn't even gotten arrested yet. And he's telling the disciples, none of you are really going to be able to stay with me through this. And Peter says, there's no way I would ever deny you. Not going to happen. And Jesus said to him before, the rooster crows three times. Or, excuse me, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Then if you fast forward in the story, you know that that's true. But it occurs to me that Peter wasn't the only one that ever had to experience the greatness of grace in the midst of failure. Think about the Apostle Paul. Again, consider the interruption to his life on the road to Damascus. He was so certain that Jesus was not the Messiah, and he was a very devout. Uh, he never quit being who he was. I mean, this was a man who was brilliant. Uh, he was a very passionate um, advocate for what he believed to be true. He was a zealot, as it were. But on the road to Damascus, he had a revelation that the very uh, Jesus that he had been persecuting in his followers was in fact real and the Messiah. But in that moment, he was aware that because of the greatness of grace, because of the redemption story, I mean, what would most of us have done in that moment? Dude, what are you doing? I'm the real Messiah. Quit killing folks and arresting people. And Paul's retort was just to say, Lord, uh, what would you have me do? Or I think about the woman that the Scripture tells us was literally caught in the act of adultery. I mean, she was caught. And isn't caught the key word here? Because even in, and of course we know that in that story, Jesus didn't uh, condemn, right? Jesus was always great at pointing out sin without hating on the sinner. He's in the redemption business. It doesn't, he doesn't have to lie or, or mollycoddle or, or uh, how to say, make excuses for, but what he did was make provision for. Hey, that's redemption story. And in this moment, uh, this woman was absolutely ridiculously redeemed and released as a daughter. And in the life of Peter, we see that in this moment, can you only imagine that after his great proclamation of how I'll never deny you, then around that fire, and the Scripture tells us in Luke chapter 22 that this courtyard was open, and in the moment that he denied Christ and the rooster crowed, that his eyes met with his friend, uh, his mentor, his Messiah, Jesus, across the courtyard. And in Luke's own telling of this story, the Scripture says that he went out and wept bitterly. I'm sure for him it felt like ultimate failure. I'm sure that he felt like at that point that he had um, gone over the limit. 
you know, I, I've exceeded the limit of what you can be forgiven for. This is too much failure for one guy. There's just no way. I mean, I've in fact done exactly what I said I would never do. But in redemption story, no failure need be final because in redemption story, Jesus predetermined that no price was too high to pay. No debt would be too much for him to forgive. Now, we're going to talk about on Easter alternate endings. We're going to talk a bit about how we have a choice. But the script that he wrote always was for redemption. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? Now, there will be an opportunity for us to make a decision. Will we follow or not? But I will say this to you, to all those who would follow the Father, there is always redemption. Somebody say always. Y'all stay with a brother. Always. No price is too high. Here's the big time truth. We had our tension, our tragedy, and our story. Peter denies Christ, goes out and weeps bitterly, thinks he's a complete and abject failure. But in that moment for me, this is what I believe is true, that what Peter, when Peter failed and his eyes met Jesus, he thought one thing. But when Peter fell and Jesus' eyes met his, Jesus thought another thing. So for Jesus, this wasn't, yep, he blew it just like I knew he would. But for Jesus, I believe this was not like he needed any extra motivation. But for Jesus, I believe this was, and that's why I'm going to the cross, because I'm going to redeem even this moment for you. Dust out. In that moment of Peter's greatest failure, what Jesus saw was, okay, yeah. Yeah. The cost of the cross is not too high. Because that's my friend right there. And that's how he feels about every one of us. Because in Redemption's story... No price is too high to pay. If you ever had a question about your value, then you consider Jesus on the cross because from that place, He declared your value. Ultimately, the price is high. But Jesus said it this way in Matthew 13. I've only ever thought of this scripture about what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like in the context of me being the one that was the merchant or the woman, the widow or... uh, But Jesus said in in Matthew 13, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who was in search of fine pearls. And when he had found one of great value, he went and sold all the rest that he had to buy that one. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in a field. And when he had found it, he went and sold everything he had and he bought that field. And I'm saying to you that that is certainly true for us. We are meant to be that one that would give up and sell out everything for that thing that is of ultimate value. But you also need to know that you are for him that treasure. You offer him that pearl of great value or, or price. Because in redemption story, no price is too high to pay. And hear me, number four, no one is left behind. In redemption story, no one is left behind. Again, now, there is a place where we get to choose our ending. He gave us the rights to those who would believe. Believing in the kingdom is belonging. He said... And John, he said, to those who believed in him, he gave the right to be called the children of God. Kyler's a choice. And he gets, we get to choose it because he already made his choice. And he chose for you. Because in redemption story, no one is left behind. He sought out a man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. 
he hunted down the woman sitting at the well. I can only imagine. I can't wait to ask that question. But in Samaria, I don't think that I'll even need to ask. In fact, I probably don't now. But the intentionality in him seeking her out, I believe his life, he, it was always meant for him to intersect her path. Because here was someone who had to have believed that because of her failure, she would be forgotten. She had, as I said a moment ago, exceeded the limit. I mean, four times I tried and failed, and the fifth time I'm living with the guy. And, but she clearly had a knowledge of the Word. She knew something about the church, about, about God the Father. She had history. But I'm sure for her the history seemed like it was only that history. She had, um, I would imagine in her own estimate, no future. But that's not true. And if you're sitting here right now and you're still coming to church, but you're not believing that the best God dream God has dreamed for you can come true, I rebuke that lie in the name of Jesus. I'm going to interject some truth into your story, and I want to say to you that God's plan is to redeem that. That very thing that seemed like ultimate failure for you could send you back to the city to see that everybody gets saved. That's really exciting. Because in redemption's story, no one is forgotten or left behind who chooses to follow. In Mark 16, man, the last time Peter saw Jesus, I heard a word from him. He, uh, he had failed miserably. But Mark chapter 16 tells us a story where Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene, who had been tremendously delivered from evil spirits and greatly redeemed in her own right, and... And they run to the tomb on a Sunday morning. It's coming up pretty quick. It's 258 days till Christmas, just in case you're curious. But it's only 14 days till Easter. And they ran to the tomb on that Sunday morning to put ointments, spices on the body of Christ. They wondered who would roll away the tomb, the Scripture tells us in Mark. But then in Mark chapter 16 and verse 7, the story goes like this, that they saw a young man, it was a young angel, I don't know what that's about, but dressed in white, sitting there, and they were all distraught. And he said to them that Jesus, as he had said, he would had risen, was resurrected. In the redemption story, Jesus didn't stay dead. And he said to them this, though, which brings all of us great hope. In redemption story, no one is left behind. Give up is not a part of redemption story for Jesus. Do you hear what I said? He don't do give up. Because he gave word through the angel to Mary and Mary to go tell the disciples and Peter. Just to make sure you get the memo. God, don't do give up. Go tell the disciples and Peter that I did it. And I did it for them. And I did it for him. And for me. And for you. And then finally, in redemption story, in the ultimate uh, reverse of the curse, uh, in the ultimate turnaround. Second Corinthians, Paul wrote Second Corinthians chapter 5. Let me just even read that real quickly. Yeah, I'm throwing picks everywhere. I don't even play the guitar. Yet. Thank you. I'm shooting for the trumpet, just FYI. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16, the scripture says, 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Boom. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what, what? He's been redeemed. (laughs) He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Say that out loud. The old has passed away. Man, the old could be yesterday, five minutes ago, five seconds ago. History is history. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. In redemption's story, the reconciled become agents of reconciliation. You talk about putting them back in the devil's face, though. You take a coke addict named Robbie Maddox and you turn him into uh, the, the pastor, the visionary for a regeneration ministry. That's exciting, too. The devil hates redemption. Because it's something he can't do anything. I love this part of the story. Redemption story. Where the redeemed become, in a sense, redeemers. I know ultimately only Christ is a redeemer. But we, you know, and in, in this part of redemption story, the reality is when the curse is reversed and we know it. And we live like it and act like it. It's when who we are, the knowledge of who we are, Jenny, goes from our heads to our hearts. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Wait for it. To our hands. That's when the church goes out there and bees the church. You see that in Peter's life. I mean, the day of Pentecost, ooh, he preached. 3,000 people came to Christ. Then in Acts chapter 3, there was a lame man that was miraculously healed. They were drawing quite a large crowd and creating a following. And in Acts chapter 4, the high priest, man, they got really messed up about it. These were the same guys that a few weeks earlier had crucified Christ. This is the same Peter who in that moment had denied even knowing who Christ was. And now in Acts chapter 4, the Scripture tells us that he was boldly proclaiming the truth. And they arrested him and brought him in before the council and said, In whose name did you do this thing? And he said, If you're questioning how this man got healed, there's only one name. That would be the name of Jesus Christ, who is the chief corner, the same one you crucified, the, the stone that you, the builders, rejected, who is actually the chief cornerstone. That's a little different, though. That's my kind of movie. Only it's a true story. We're the good guys. Man, it ain't none of us good but one. But the God followers, the redeemed, stand up and say so. And he said, and in fact, there's no name under heaven whereby man must be saved. Come on ahead, BJ and Tara. We're going to sing a song over us in a moment. Or Haley. Haley is also good.
in the first service, that was Tara. That's all right. But in the ultimate turnaround in the life of Peter, the same thing that's meant to happen in us, to redeem the difficulty, the hurt, the hard time. We, we were just thought last night there was here locally, there was a showing of the movie Beyond the Spear, or Beyond the End of the Spear, however that is, and um, the End of the Spear, I think. Anyway, about the life of Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and Roger Udaren and Ed McCauley, those, those amazing guys who went to uh, the Aka Indians and just the ministry of that and the way that God redeemed that and multitudes of people have been impacted by their testimony and in fact that entire tribe reached for Jesus Christ but the redemptive effort that can be made in the heart of a man or woman who truly that's God's work complete itself in us in their case they were immediate Jesus didn't kill them but he sure redeemed it first of all he set them up a place in heaven go to prepare for you He redeems death. What about that? He even redeems death. In the life of Peter, dude, in the fifth chapter, after he's been in, he's been jailed, he's been beaten, they said, you got to stop. He said, what am I going to do? Listen to you instead of God? Uh, get out of here. So he goes right back to doing what he'd been doing. And the scripture says in Acts chapter 5 that they brought multitudes of people and they laid them on the sidewalk because God had done such a real deep and complete work in the Remember, this is Peter from Bethsaida. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. This is that guy. Who in here don't believe God can do his work in you? the scripture says they laid folks on the sidewalk and when his shadow passed over them they were healed you know what Peter got right there was one question that he had to get right and he nailed it who do men say that I am who do you say that I am you are Jesus Christ son of the living God Jesus said booyah something like that, similar. On this revelation, on this truth, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell. Because I'm fixing to have the keys to that anyway. Will not prevail against it. Or you. Or me. Lord, you're good. You're so good. And your mercies. Thank you very much. Endure forever. God, I want to lift up Rick right now. Several hours ahead of us, probably ministering like he always is in this moment in Beirut. He's his own story of redemption. God, just work in him. Protect him. Keep him safe. Those that he walks and works with, God, because I know he's always making the devil mad. But, Lord, we believe this, that greater is he that is in me. So keep him safe. Minister in him right now. Lord, and in our midst, in this place, God, 
I pray right now that everyone would believe completely and wholeheartedly in your work of redemption and restoration. And God, if there's one heart right now that's not walking in, in a redemptive relationship with you, God, that if you were to come back today, if there's anyone who wouldn't uh, be ready to go, God, and I don't want to call anyone's, hear me, church, I don't want to call anyone's salvation into question. It's, only the devil does that. He's a dog. But I believe you'll know in your heart whether you've uh, received Christ Jesus. As Paul wrote, if you, as you've received Christ Jesus, walk in Him. You can't walk in Him if you have not received Him. And if you are here, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, but if you are here and, and you know that you have not believed to those who believed in Him, He gave the right to be children of God. If you haven't really in your heart believed in Him, can you just slip up your hand and in a moment I'll pray with you because you got a place in redemption story. Today, you have a place. I'm just looking around this building right now. If that's you, just slip up your hand very quickly. Appreciate that. Anyone else? Real quick. So maybe this is your story. Maybe you're at the place in the story where the tension and the tragedy has hit. And you've been caused to wonder if maybe there's even just something. Not, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm walking in a right relationship with God, but whew, I got this place that I have just not believed He could redeem. I've carried it as a weight. It has been a burden. It has been a knot in my stomach. And I'm, it's, I want to let it go. I want to believe that God can even take that thing that the enemy meant for my harm and work it for my good. I want to let God have that so He can redeem it there's something specific in your life in that way tension tragedy failure it could be any of the above and then some slip up your hand and i will pray with you as well sure lots of us lots of us sure sure appreciate that appreciate that and then lastly you say ron what it's my turn it's my turn now to be the reconciled to stand into my place as an agent of reconciliation that again, the devil would rue the day that he dared raise his sword against us. That God would turn that around and that our testimony of his faithfulness would be life-changing for others who need to know the Redeemer and his redemption. And you would say, I've kind of been that part of the story. I haven't really kind of embraced that or walked in that. Pray with me today that I would. I want to be an agent of reconciliation. I want to walk in that. Just throw that hand up right quick. Say, count me in the willing pool. Count me in the willing pool. Yeah, yeah. I'm with y'all. Yeah, I'm with, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's a good prayer to pray every day, hey? Every day. Stand with me, would you?